Hey, you busy? Mm-mm. Okay, let me run something past you real quick. I have come to truly appreciate when God gives a spiritual timeout. What do I mean by spiritual timeout? The times that you are trying to force open doors, the times where you are waiting for something impatiently, the times that you just cannot figure out why something is not happening and God, I don't understand. And I'm I'm praying and I'm fasting and I'm doing all the things and nothing is happening. I would like to redirect your attention that maybe God is not allowing for something to happen for you because he's trying to alter, shift, and change some things in you. God can do whatever it is that he plans and intends on doing in your life without the help, without the extra emotion, without you having a spiritual temper tantrum. He doesn't need all that to move. God is not a genie. He already has what he's going to do in mind and it will come to pass. However, he is more important on what is happening in you rather than what he's allowing to enter your life and do for you. And so when God gives you the gift of a spiritual time out, that means that you have to look around externally and say, okay, so I'm not seeing the fruit that I want to see. I'm not seeing the change that I want to see. What I'm praying for has not yet been fulfilled. So maybe I need to take a time out and go into my spiritual bag and say, okay, God, what are you trying to show me? What am I blinded to? Open my eyes. Show me what it is that I'm missing because I don't want to just get to the destination destination and that be the goal. I want to be the person you want me to be. The mass six moments were not just about him going ahead and fulfilling whatever it is God had for him. Damascus was more important because God had to do something to him to change his operating system, to change Saul into Paul. He set out to do something, but did not fulfill that. But what God intended to do for Paul was definitely fulfilled. That was the initiating factor in pretty much the whole entire Bible, actually the New Testament to be exact. And so spiritual timeouts, I have learned to appreciate it. I have learned and God has downloaded into my soul that, listen, you are a human being. I'm trying to make something of you. I'm trying to coordinate you to be more like me. When I set out to make humans, I wanted to make them in my own likeness. So if there's something in you that is not like me, then I have a obligation to go ahead and change that to reflect me because you didn't ask to be here. You didn't ask to be created. But if you're going to be on this world, if you're going to be in this earth, if you're going to be in the season that you're in, it has to look like I am a part of you, that the reflection of me is mirrored in you. Because you have to understand our ways are not like his ways. Our thoughts are not like his thoughts. We don't know which path to truly take. But being a good, good father, he knows that. And he's like, I'm more focused on you becoming the human being that I intended for you to be. But you want to be a human doing. You want me to do stuff for you. You want me to get stuff to you. You want all the tangible items. You want the accolades. You want the want. And you are more focused than the doing. And God is like, but I'm more interested in the being. 
how are you from day to day? How is your soul? Did you check that? Your physical body, how are you doing there? Is your faith growing? How are you? How is your perspective when it comes to this particular situation? Are you more planted in your faith? Are you more leaning on the word? Like, what is it? Who are you becoming? But more so on a day to day, who are you being? Spiritual timeouts allows God to the space to impartate the things that he wants to see fruitful in your life. The seeds that are supposed to be there, you pray that they are there and they blossom in due season and that you do not faint before the time that is supposed to go ahead and show fruit. The seeds that were not supposed to be there, that may have been planted by trauma, by childhood, by whatever that situation was that was impressionable in your life. You pray that that's uprooted. The Bible says that God is the gardener. And so if he knows what is in your soil, a.k.a. your soul, then let him go about the process of making you a healthier human being. Mm, My gosh. The one thing in this season that he has shown me is the power of clarity. I did not realize that some of the most powerful prayers that I have ever prayed were the most simplistic. I did not realize that we condolute and make, we just make things really difficult. And God really is a powerful yet simplistic God. You want to do things for him like Martha. He wants you to be with him like Mary. You want to go ahead and build him somewhere to live like David. But he's looking at what you did with Uriah the Hittite. And he's like, "Mm mm-mm, because he's a man of principle. He's a God of decency and order. And so there's certain things that he, you're thinking you're doing a great thing. And God is like, "Mm mm-mm, that was the whole thing with the Tower of Babel. He was like, uh, these folks is coming together trying to build something. I have to confuse their language because they had an idea of what they wanted to do. And God was like, but that's not what I intended for you. And so what I am noticing is that the most powerful prayer you could ever pray. You ready? Ask God for clarity. Mic drop. Yes. I know you looking like, mm, is there a comma after that word? No, it's giving very much period. That's the end of the sentence. Like seriously, I did not know that clarity truly is the basis and the foundation of a make or break situation in our lives. How many times do you see people walking around? I don't know my purpose. Rebuke that in the name of Jesus. When it comes to decision-making, they don't know. And do you make it off of emotion? Do you make it off of logic? Do you make it off of, I don't know, do you take a leap of faith here? What do you do? And so every situation when I zoomed out in life and kind of looked at and said, what's the common denominator? The common denominator for success in any area is the clarity that you have on that matter, on that situation, on that person, on that job. You can do all the research in the world. Spiritual clarity is what you need. 
You can look up the reviews on a job. You can ask all the right questions in the interview. You can ask all the right questions in the dating phase. You can ask all the right questions and get the best inspection for the house. You can look on all the car facts for the vehicle before you purchase it. You can do all the things that are naturally equated to wisdom. But what you really need is a discernment and a spiritual clarity from God because he, the Holy Spirit, will lead to all truth. Clarity. When God downloaded that into my soul today, I was like, time out. You know your girl, God. (laughs) You're going to have to give me something a little bit practical. And he literally revealed to me that clarity is what started the fall. And clarity literally could have been the thing that could have kept us in a sinful state, a broken world prior to Jesus. What do I mean by that? I'm so glad you asked, and I'm glad that we have conversations where we can freely ask questions. I literally want to go back to Genesis 3, and I want to talk about the girl Eve. Not in a gossiping way because we all know how we feel about her, but listen, let's just give her a chance real quick, okay? Let's just for one moment just kind of give her a little bit of grace, okay? When I read this, I want you to literally see how this whole situation could have been changed if Eve had clarity. Holy Spirit, help me to say it the way that you gave it to me because this thing is powerful. Okay, Genesis 3, you know I read from the NOT version. Let's start from verse 1. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Let me repeat that. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Two, of course we may eat fruit from the trees in a garden. The woman replied, three. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Four, you won't die. The serpent replied to the woman. Five, God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Six, the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. Seven, at that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to, con- to cover themselves. Eight, When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord walking around in the garden, so they hid from the Lord among the trees. Nine, then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Ten, he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Eleven, who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Pause. A couple of things here. The conversation stopped between the serpent and Eve once she was convinced. You you want to reread it? Okay. The last thing the serpent says in verse 4 
You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The very next verse says in verse 6, the woman was convinced. After that, I don't see another time that the enemy had anything else to say, that the serpent had anything to say to Eve. And so when you go back and you're like, I'm so, Eve, why didn't you just say, bruh, no, he said A, B, and C, so I'm going to stick to it. And I'm up. the Holy Spirit showed me uh, Eve wasn't there. I said, I'm sorry. Yeah, when God was telling, uh, giving out what should be done and what should not be done, the only person that was there between the two of them, Adam and Eve, was Adam. I said, Holy Spirit. He was like, no, no, no. When God told him, okay, listen, I'm going to go ahead and do some stuff and blah, blah, blah. I'm putting you in this garden. And I'm, yeah, that was the conversation between Adam and God. And then God said, mm, it's not good for him to be alone. So he went ahead and made Eve thereafter. I said, so Eve was literally going off of secondhand information. Correct. And when someone gives you secondhand information, sometimes it has the potential to be misconstrued. Correct. Isn't that how gossip starts? Well, I heard that she said, because you were not there, you can perceive it and receive it in the wrong light. That's probably why somebody came up with the saying of like, yo, get it from the horse's mouth. Yeah. Isn't that how, if somebody came to you and was like, oh, uh, they're not having the party no more. And you were like, really? Oh, okay. And then you started making plans off of that secondhand information. And then the, the initial person who started the party was like, why didn't you come? You were like, oh, I heard that y'all didn't. Yet when you get secondhand information, it has the propensity to literally be contorted in a way that you're like, time out. You can add your own tail to the dog. You can be convinced of other things. And that is exactly what Eve fell victim to. The fact that she knew some stuff, but she wasn't there. She got that information secondhand from Adam. But the enemy was able to go ahead and say, hmm. No, let's kind of give you, let me give you a new perspective. Let me let you see this different. You're clear on the words that you heard, but if I make you see this differently, then maybe I can go ahead and give you a new lens that will then make you act differently on the information you initially received. Yeah, um, at the job, you know, the, uh, such and such that they um, they they not hiring or that or that we we not getting raises or you ever heard something secondhand and was like uh uh-uh, uh and you raged in a way or there was an emotional uproot eruption that happened within you and so you began to go ahead and seek out or act out certain things based upon what you heard. How was that any different from Eve? The serpent came and was like, yo that's not no Adam told you that no mm -mm, you're not gonna surely die when you look at it like that you like oh snap (laughs) if Eve just had the clarity of like no bruh I was there but she wasn't no bruh like no because he said I was there when he said but she wasn't so the clarity 
was able to be corroded because the enemy got her convinced through confusion. We already know that everything that is of God, the enemy tries to do a carbon copy of in the kingdom of darkness, right? God is the God of clarity. So what is the tool that the enemy uses? Confusion. And how does the enemy try to confuse? Does he go like, (laughs) and trying to get you to look in different directions? No, the confusion tool that he uses is through convincing. If I can convince you that God is okay with you fornicating, you'll keep doing it. If I can convince you that this selfish desire that you have in your heart is actually peace, you'll continue doing it. If I can convince you that God works in everybody else's life, but he doesn't work in yours, then I can keep you worried. If I can convince you that, oh, look at the economy, look at the job market, look at the housing market. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. And I can give you a theme song in your soul of, oh, no, then I can keep you anxious. If I can continue to keep you connected and convinced that you messed up so much in the past that God can't do nothing with you in the future, I can keep you depressed. If I can convince you, that's what the enemy's been doing this entire time. Convincing you. That God has, you know, forgotten you. Convincing you that what God said, mm, we can poke holes in that. Convincing you that the Bible is not true when it says that God is not a man that he shall lie. So if he said that you was going to surely die, ma'am, you're going to surely die. Like, that's just what it is. Reboot that in the name of Jesus. But you get what I'm saying. The enemy's number one tool is confusion. And I said, daggone it. (laughs) If Eve was just there, this whole thing could have been saved. It could have been like, no, 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 no. Because it's a lot of things about a woman. But we're going to say, no, I was definitely there. You had the blue shirt. She had the purple shirt. I said that. You know how a woman can recall a situation. You cannot tell a woman something did not happen if she is certain like, no. No, no, it was her birthday. And then on my next birthday, right, correct. Because what you're not going to do is out convince a woman that was there. When we were there and it is truth, you are not going to shake us on what it was. But Eve wasn't there when God was having that conversation with Adam. And, and Adam didn't quite land it in a way that I guess was convincing enough that, listen, we as a unit are not going to venture off of what God said. Because I've been around, homie. I've been walking these cool breezes of the day with him. And one thing that I know is that, you know, he he's solid. Adam didn't convince her enough. He didn't make it clear enough. He didn't provide the clarity needed so that she understood we standing together on this thing, 10 toes down. Okay. So the one thing the enemy was able to do is what? Confuse her by what? Convincing her of something different. Why? Because she didn't have the clarity needed to stand strong. I said, oh, my goodness. But Holy Spirit was like, we're not going to stop there uh, because the Bible says nothing is new under the sun. Like the enemy, listen, he, the, 
we go ahead and give him way more power than he requires. We make him this majestic, like, oh, but he's using the same tools that have worked before, hoping that they keep working. And when he can't do nothing else with you, he does exactly what he did with Jesus in the wilderness. And he comes back at a later time, hoping that you've been tried enough, hoping that you've been tired enough, hoping that you have convinced yourself it's not going to work for you. And then he can go ahead and attack at the perfect timing. His arsenal to confusion is also also timing. So when you're noticing that you're strong in an area, you also have to know how to hack yourself because if he can't get you at night, then he'll go ahead and try it in the morning. It'll be the same thing, just a different time frame because maybe you're a little bit more fragile in the morning. If he can't try you here, then maybe he can wait till the holiday season because you get a little bit more vulnerable during that time. So maybe he can, you see what I'm saying? It's like the, the arsenal doesn't change. Sometimes the time frame does. And that's exactly what he did with Jesus in the wilderness. He did what he did with Eve in the garden and was like, cool, that worked. I confused her by convincing her, okay, because she wasn't there, okay, blah, blah, blah. So when it was time to go ahead and be in the garden, a.k.a. wilderness with Jesus, <laughs> a couple of years later, he tried the same thing, just at a different time. So let's go ahead and watch, like, literally how weak this buddy is. Like, sir, you're not, you're not even creative. Like, we, the, the Bible gave you the title of crafty, but you're not creative. <laughs> like, it, it's just, it's not giving at this point. So Matthew 4, we're going to read from the NLT version again. I'm starting from verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. Four, I'm sorry, two. For 40 days and 40 nights. He fasted and became very hungry. Three, during that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Four, but Jesus told him, No, the scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Five, then the devil took him into the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off for the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands. So you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Seven, Jesus responded. The scriptures also say, sir, you must not test the Lord, your God. Hmm. Eight. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Nine, I will give it all to you. He said, if. You will kneel down and worship me. 10. Get out of here, Satan. Be gone, sir. Jesus told him. For the scriptures say, you must not worship the Lord your God. Oh, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. 11. Then the devil went away and the angels came and took care of Jesus. Uh, class, when did the enemy arrive on the scene when Jesus had fasted and became very hungry. He literally, the enemy is relying on a weakness, an opportunity to strike, but it only can happen when there is a weakness identified in you. When there is a weakness identified, the enemy goes, that's the perfect time. You mean to tell me out of all the 40 days and 40 nights, why did you wait until Jesus was very hungry? You didn't, it, it, it could have read, 
that he came when he, you know, was a little bit tired or a little bit. No, a little bit was not enough. The enemy has patience. He's going to wait because you have to understand he only has a small time frame, a small window to try to go ahead and do some stuff. So if you can, if you got him for 40 days, you want to wait until he's extremely hungry. And then you want to go ahead and ask some questions to see if Jesus is clear. So all his questions sound like if you are the son of God, if you are, then jump. If you are, then turn it to the loaves of bread. I can give you all this. If you kneel down and worship me, see if is such a tricky word because it has an either or. So I got to convince you, much like the way that Eve was convinced when she saw the fruit. But the enemy knew this time, um, I got to I gotta come to Jesus in a different posture, in a different direction. Because um, Buddy was there with the scripture, but so was Satan. Lucifer was an angel of light. He was up there too. So that's why all Jesus responds. All of the things that Jesus actually said was rooted in clarity, truth. Let's read it again. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Six, and said, if you are the son of God, jump off for the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. <laughs> Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. Oh, pause. So the enemy was like, dang. So he knows the other side of that. He knows the clarifying scripture. He knows enough to be able to go, mm, I see what you're trying to do, but let me provide you with clarity. I see what you're trying to do, but let me also let you know the truth. I see what you're trying to do. So then the enemy was like, dang, this is not working. So let me go ahead and try to give you some googly eyes. Let me show you some, some kingdom, some riches, some money, some fame, some whatever the accolade is. That is just like, oh, I would have the power and the respect and I can buy whatever I want. So next the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Nine, I will give it all to you. Huh? He said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Ten, get out of here, Satan. Jesus told him, for the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away. And the angels came and took care of Jesus. I'm sorry, what? Then the devil went away. He went away. Yeah, he went away. Why? Because he couldn't convince Jesus. Oh. Wait a minute. <laughs> he couldn't convince Jesus. So he just went away. Right. So what did Jesus, how did Jesus withstand all of that? He stood in truth. Because there's a clarity when you know God. It's a clarity when you know God. I'm sorry, sir. You, what you probably didn't know is that Jesus is the word made flesh. 
So you reciting something to him and it's like, it's like somebody coming up to you and kind of scrambling up the last four of your social. And you like, you do realize it's my social security number, right? <laughs> like you can't confuse me on something I've been saying. And I know, and it's literally a part of my life. That's exactly what the enemy tried to do. What if I just kind of sort of showed and Jesus was like, sir, really? Okay. So since we're here, <laughs> let's play that game. Literally, nothing is new under the sun. The enemy tried to convince the same way he did with Eve in a garden. He was like, cool, the wilderness is a form of a garden. So let me try to do the same thing that I did with Eve, but I'm going to do it with Jesus. But I'm going to do it a little bit differently because uh, I'm not going to play on his hunger. Because that's a little bit too obvious. I already got Eve to go ahead and fall for the fruit. I'm not not going to take the hunger part. But what I will do is I'm going to ask some clarifying questions all pertaining to his identity, his level of commitment to what God wants him to do and has called him to do and see if I can bring earthly riches to make him forfeit his spiritual crown. Yeah, let's see if I can go ahead, and, but I can only shake up all of this. I can only change the trajectory of mankind. I can only kind of skew Calvary if I can convince him that what he's doing and what he's believing and what he's actually walking out isn't worth it. Do you see what I'm saying? The power of clarity. First of all, hand clap of praise for Jesus standing strong. I had to. Very much had to. I don't want to be disrespectful, but let's give Eve what she needs because at that point I feel bad. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. But thank God for Jesus. You see what I'm saying? Thank I just because I wanted to do it. But thank God for Jesus. Because if we look at our lives, and this is my question and my challenge to you, what is the enemy trying to convince you of? Is he's trying to convince you you'll never be married because a single life in the dating pool looks like such? Is he trying to convince you that you'll never be out of debt because you can't make a certain amount? Is he trying to convince you that you'll never have children because of what have you or your age or whatever? Is he trying to, like, what is he trying to convince you of? And can I just say something? God can do all things. Not because it's just scripture, not because I memorized it, not because I... Of anything outside of I have seen it and I know it. You literally have a scripture or a story in the Bible that correlates with your problem. I need you to understand that there are people who are making six figures and they are broke. If you go to God with what you have, even if you look at it like it's a boy's lunch, two fish and five loaves, and you can't really do too much with that, I guarantee you that if you go ahead and put that in the palm of Jesus' hands, if you go ahead and put that in the palm of your prayer, God will give you spiritual insight on how to maximize your little bit. I um Spoiler alert, I went ahead and looked up the professions for like the top five millionaires and all of that stuff. Do you know that it is not people who make a whole bunch teacher? Hmm. A teacher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The the titles, the descriptors, the profession and careers of the people who are actually well off financially. They are not rich. They are wealthy. Are the people who knew what to do with their money? So it has nothing to do with the tax bracket you're in. It has to do with what you do with the money and the resources that God provided to you. 
I am, I stand so strongly in this wealth comes from God giving spiritual insight. He'll tell you what to do with your gift to maximize the wealth. He'll tell you what to do with the resources that you have. When the woman with the oil went to Elijah and was like, bro, what to do? He was like, what do you have? She was like, not really that much. Just a little bit of oil in my cabinet. He was like, cool, this is what you do. It's not the fact that you need to develop more oil. You need to actually get the strategy to get more pots because God can expand supernaturally the oil that you already have. So I pray in the mighty name of Jesus, because I feel this, that whatever your particular oil is, whether it's an idea, whether it's your paycheck, whether it's the resources that you have right now currently in your possession, I pray that he helps you get a strategy to maximize it to the potential that you can pay off your debt and live off the rest for the rest of your life in the name of Jesus. I pray that whatever you are learning, yearning for, whatever your heart's desires is, that God will let you know that if he put that desire there, that he literally wants to bring it to fulfillment you will see what's in your heart it won't just be a feeling it won't just be a dream it just won't be a vision it will be something that you can actually tangibly touch in the name of Jesus the power of clarity you need to be clear that if God said it the word would not come back void that if you can find a scripture on it or a story about it in the Bible that it will be done in your life it's just not something for you to read and go oh that was that was motivating that was encouraging I feel a little bit better it's for you to refuel yourself so that you can continue to have the faith needed for the rest of the journey refuel yourself for the rest of the journey this is what this whole thing is about and at this point he's like I want you to have clarity so the enemy can't convince you of the alternative of what God did not say of what God does not want no did God say that you really need to yes he did and you need to stand 10 toes down in that yes he did and you don't even need to fight the enemy or those thoughts that planted by the enemy by yourself. You can just say, get thee behind me, Satan, into the blood of Jesus. Because Jesus did a thing on Calvary that makes it that you can skip a couple of processes in the spiritual realm. And you could just be like, um, I'm sorry, G- uh, Lord, he's trying to bother my mental space. <laughs> I'm Tell your daddy. Yup, be a rat. Absolutely, I'm telling tattletale to the uh, we not in the playground no more it's okay to tattletale and I'm telling my daddy I'm telling my daddy that you're trying to go ahead and pervert my mental space that you're trying to go ahead and permeate emotional realms that I don't want to be a part I'm not thinking about the past no more I don't want to think of things that are not of God the Bible says think of these things so that's the things that I'm going to think about the things that are pure and of excellence and of worthy like that's exactly what I'm getting ready to do so what you won't do devil is come in here and try to go ahead and change up what I already know to be true I have clarity you can't convince me of otherwise and that's on period you understand I want you to pray this particular prayer this is my challenge to you God give me the clarity needed to stand strong so that I cannot be convinced of anything alternative. Amen. Clarity. Ooh, that's your biggest flex. <laughs> I'm talking about hit him with the flex. Hit him with the flex. Hit him with the hit him with it, sir, ma'am. Do you understand? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I pray that you never see your life the same. 
I pray that you never live in the same perspective. I pray that you don't live in the same vein and lenses. I pray that you don't look at somebody else's life and say, oh, well, then since that is common, then that's what's going to happen. No, 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 no. Don't convince yourself of commonalities. We stand strong on the word of God. I don't care what happens. Did you see what was going on in Egypt? When Pharaoh was experiencing darkness, the Israelites is like, it's light over here. I don't care what's going on in the government. I don't care what's going on in the country you live in. I don't care what's going on. It's like, oh, that's what's happening for them. But as for me and my house, yeah, we're covered. Yeah, the blood of the lamb is on this thing. You can have a nice day. But you can only stand in that kind of gangster when you got a different kind of set of stance, like my stance is not in my strength. My stance is not in my resources. My stance is in Christ. And when I have Christ, there is clarity. And when there is clarity, you can't convince me of nothing else. The absolute in no commas, period. You understand? But listen, I feel like you got what you needed. Mm -hmm. You know, what these conversations are right. Right. They are life provoking conversations, conversations that not the average person's going to have with you. But who <laughs> your favorite home girl, uh, you've been looking at the YouTubes and stuff created the number two multiply. Listen, check your girl because she's doing the things and the Patreon strive the letter in inspire and then created to multiply.com for all the things that are all the things I am excited for what God is doing, has done, and will continue to do. I have grown to a place that I'm like, bruh, I'm getting ready to give you every piece of this fruit. Cause I didn't just go through that whole sowing season for nothing. Harvest time finna be lit for all of us. You understand? Right. But listen, you got a YouTube and Patreon to go to. So I'm gonna go ahead and let you let me go. Okay. We talk later. Later.